Welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM 2020 is brought to you by the organizational team, Anne, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to another IPM Creator Conversation episode. This is Tess Kokyo, and today I'm interviewing Chris Magilton, creator, writer, producer extraordinaire of Among the Stars and Bones, a sci-fi audio drama about xenoarchaeologists investigating alien ruins on distant worlds. Before we jump in, I'm going to draw you into this episode with the trailer for the show so that you can just get a little bit of a taste of what Chris and I are going to be talking about today. Commence report. So, I guess I start with commence report. We have uncovered a complete subterranean alien colony city. It's incredible. Huge. It just drops away from Mars. But I am more concerned with the benefits of this technology. Not a history lesson. Proximin remains have been found on site. This could indicate an evacuation gone wrong. If the site was abandoned, which it seems to be, then there must have been a reason. There's an entire mystery to go through here. 600 dead alien bodies. Probably thousands more missing or otherwise unaccounted for. I found a chamber. Something is ticking over down there. It's not dead. We might figure out how it works by poking it. But unless we're careful, we'll likely blow our own faces off. I asked him to look into that artifact. If something happened to him because of it... Look, I'm just going to get right to it. We have a crew member missing. There's no inherent danger involved in what I'm doing. Among the Stars and Bones is a science fiction, xeno-archaeological, audio drama, premiering April 3, 2019. For more information, go to www.amongthestarsandbones.com or follow us on Twitter at Among Stars Bones. I guess that wraps it up. Um, end report? Hello, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Joining me today is uh, Chris Magilton. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am uh, writing and producing and everything else in uh, a podcast called Among the Stars and Bones. The, it is the story of a group of xenoarchaeologists investigating alien ruins. Um, each season they find a new place, a new mystery, a new questions, uh, and so forth. Chris, let's start from the very beginning. Where did the idea of Among the Stars and Bones come from? And what compelled you to make it a scripted audio drama versus a different kind of media? Uh, yeah, well, I think part of the inspiration comes from obviously getting into audio drama. Um, I spent uh, a time a few years ago commuting from Bendigo, uh, which is about an hour and a half outside of Melbourne in Australia, uh, down to Melbourne every day for my work. 
And as a result, needed something to keep myself occupied while I was spending an hour and a half driving each way, uh, you know, twice a day. So uh, I went with audiobooks for a while and then started to get into podcasting and then found things like Welcome to Night Vale and so forth. And so I really fell in love with the medium uh, and just felt that that was a really interesting way of telling stories. And it also combines uh, my love of acting with my love of storytelling. I'm an English and drama teacher uh, in my day job. So that kind of, I guess, was where I got started. In terms of the specific story itself, I think like a lot of people, um, when you first get into audio drama, the, the, the current trend or the, the trend that really started it off, um, fiction podcasting and, and so forth, uh, and, and particularly in the American scene, was the found footage, single narrator type, uh, type deal. And so I think I was kind of conscious as I started thinking, you know what, maybe I'd like to tell a story in this area, what would be an interesting way of doing it or an interesting uh, uh, kind of story to tell? And I'm a big fan of uh, the Borderlands uh, series of video games, um, which for those who don't know, uh, are games that revolve around um, the kind of half role player, half uh, first person shooter game. But the point is they take place on an alien planet. And there are a number of uh, missions you do where you collect and find recordings from a, a person investigating alien ruins that are relevant to the, to the main game. And I really enjoyed the way that across the course of those recordings, you got both the sense of the world and the law and so forth uh, of these ruins that were being investigated. But also there was kind of this evolving character story as the xenoarchaeologist uh, Patricia Tannis um, loses more and more of her party members and has some issues with, uh, with her mental health. And um, that sort of little story, it's a very small part of a, of a much bigger game and a much bigger world, but it kind of stuck with me. And I think at some point I started to sort of see how telling a story in a, in a similar vein, uh, broadening it out a little bit more to include a wider range of characters and, and so forth, and turning into the form of, uh, in the case of Among the Stars and Bones, uh, a series of status reports from the team back to you know their home home base kind of thing, would be uh, an interesting way of kind of slowly evolving a story over time. The way that you were writing the story was initially inspired by Borderlands and kind of that snippet of story that you experienced. What for you it want to be more of an archaeological exploration? of an alien planet and alien life versus exploring um, first contact kind of direction? I think there's a few parts to it. I, I've always enjoyed uh, a good mystery story and not necessarily just a straight up, you know, murder mystery and that sort of thing, but just where we see a story slowly evolve through, I guess, the overlap of pieces of information that kind of build up into uh, a bigger picture that over time, you know, the pieces fall into place, something comes in and completes the puzzle, and you sort of see, uh, you know, a whole picture where once upon a time there was just a bunch of different ideas and pieces scattered all around. And I think um, it was an opportunity to tell that kind of story, which interested me. And I think also when it comes to archaeology as a discipline, I'm, I'm not an expert, but it feels like that is a, a lot to do with how archaeology kind of works as well because obviously there are always new artifacts new pieces of information writings and so forth that are that are coming to light um with with each new expedition uh, and each new peeling back of a of an era um and every find and so when um when that happens you know suddenly some of the the assumptions and things that uh that 
people once had get recontextualized because you see what you previously knew against other things. And I just felt like that would be, um, you know, telling that story that way, uh, like you say, kind of in that, that past tense vein with the, with the reports and so forth, allows for that situation where we are sitting with a person in the moment doing what they are doing, but at the same time, slowly lining up these other bits that will add up over time, which was also part of the reason why I deliberately made the story. Uh, there's not just one character reporting back. There's uh, five in the in the first season, and there might be some variation later on. But um, that idea that not everybody has the full picture. It's not until you see what you've found against somebody else that you start to see that complete puzzle. Where does that rating come from? Like, is that from your experience of teaching and kind of your experience with English and drama? Or was writing something like this entirely new to you? Um, I think it would be safe to say it's probably a way that I've um, enjoyed consuming stories in, in, in the past. I think of a lot of uh, television shows that I'm a fan of, and a lot of them do have that tendency where, where you are telling a story in an episode. But that story often leaves, you know, pieces in place, uh, clues, ideas, introduces new characters uh, and issues that pay off further down the track as we see sort of, you know, the whole story, the arc of a, of a season or the arc of an entire several year journey um, sort of come together. So that idea of sort of laying out now versus laying out later, I guess, has always been part of how I've thought of stories. You know, and there are certain things again that sort of that that those rules of mystery around um, hiding uh, information in plain sight that will make sense later and so forth. So I guess I've always tended to think storytelling a little bit that way, and it's even true sometimes when the story is about character rather than about say a particular mystery that it, it's important I think to make sure that you are putting pieces of information about a person in place so that when that person suddenly changes in their in their journey uh, through their their story some part of that has been has been set up previously, you know, on the way through. I've listened to Among the Stars of Bones and absolutely adored it. Thank you. What is your favorite clue that you left very early on that maybe without spoilers, <laughs> um, that that hints at something big down the road? I think in some ways, it wasn't so much clues so much it was, it was more just questions um, that, were, that were being posed because there was this idea that the story was sort of evolving on several fronts at once. You know, we had what was essentially uh, a murder mystery in the sense of um, very early on, an alien body is discovered that, has, that shows signs of being uh, murdered. Uh, but also there is the, um, the continual mystery around why they aren't finding as many bodies as they should be given the um given the the size of the of the location that they're investigating and so forth and so i think it was more that um i suppose actually the the, the eventual reveal of that one which comes about uh, episode eight or nine i think of the first season as to why there aren't you know as many people to be found uh aliens to be found as there are there should be given that the the uh place could house about 80,000 people. I feel like that was one of those ones that kind of uh, paid off really nicely. I guess in some ways it's it's the mystery also teased by the various glitches that are um, playing over the recordings because very early on there starts to be uh, sort of an interference that's happening with the recordings and that does play into the central mystery. And that was both fun from a writing point of view but also from an execution point of view when it came to editing the uh, the material and including those uh, 
in the in the finished product because they did both make it seem very spooky but also kind of help to tell the story and I think also cause a lot of the audience to kind of spiral off that and theorize and sort of jump on different possible explanations and I think that's part of the fun of a clue a clue that is obviously a clue does have a tendency to have multiple possible interpretations and it's that thing of like some people might get it right but maybe not exactly in the way they think or or something like that and the fun is in seeing where people go as they're uh, as they're following along with each additional episode definitely one of the things that we see in the audio drama uh, medium is the framing device of kind of the log or the voicemail along those lines, like recordings. But we've seen some shows like Among the Stars and Bones that do it so, so brilliantly that I think um, really capture the storytelling. So like we've seen it with Wolf 359 and uh, Love and Luck and Tides, like several of these kinds of log types, I think it's probably harder to do than people realize. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to use that framing device and like how you decided that that was the best one to use in your show? Yeah, look, I think um, some of the the things that led to the decision, I I, I do think initially that, um, you know, coming into audio drama, if if the first you know ten shows you come across use some version of that device, there is there is more of a tendency to start thinking in those terms. And I probably got caught up a little bit in that idea. But at the same time, for me, the reason for using it and and part of the the central conceit was was apart from the idea that obviously it allows the story to evolve in multiple places at once because different characters have different specific things that they are. Uh, looking into one is looking into a, a secondary site um, which has a very large technological device um, involved uh, several other characters are looking at different things within this colony city that is underground um, another person is just in charge of just you know over oversight and safety and so forth and so it was that idea that that this story moves in several directions um, at once and obviously a, a little bit like the way a, a book like you know, a lot of uh, large epic novels work, you, you have to find a way to get one of your point of view characters into the spot so that that part of the story can be can be told. So that was that was part of the, the, the thing behind it. But I think what was key to me for doing this was this idea that when you have something narrated in, in first person, uh, be it a story or be it a single narrator, audio drama or something like that, there is obviously a tendency with a lot of those stories to assume that you are being told something pretty close to the absolute truth by that person. And part of the fun of a playing of playing with something like this using multiple um, people speaking in first person, you know, recording their thoughts and ideas, was to have this kind of collision of perspectives and interpretations, which seemed both relevant to um, again this idea of of taking artifacts in an archaeological sense and, and making interpretations based on that, but also in terms of, you know, you don't necessarily know uh, 100% which person's story is the most accurate and it becomes a little bit more of a who do you trust kind of scenario and who really knows uh, and understands what is potentially quite a, a complicated situation. But also there are some complicated human dynamics here with everyone having their own agenda and their own things that they wish to achieve and their own decision about, well, what is actually the most important thing? Um, the first episode is called The Key to Humanity's Future. And uh, the reason for that is is that two of 
the characters use some variation of that phrase in their first report because both of them believe that the thing that they are investigating could potentially have unlimited technological, socioeconomical you know, impacts uh, in the future if they can just understand what it is and harness the capability of these two different things. And that's the point, ultimately, is that idea of much and all as a lot of the characters are on the same side. They're not necessarily always on the same page. Did you find writing that style to be a challenging way to write a story? I think I always conceived it as being as being told through these reports because I do like stories that are kind of um, and again it's thinking about things like um, uh, what's the word uh, epistolary um, sort of format where things are told through letters or diaries and that sort of stuff where again we have this kind of contrast of the day to day versus the the little clues and things that the build a, a larger context and a larger story the, the further we go along. And I've always liked that as a, as a storytelling medium. So I think I always was leaning into this idea from the start. But there are a couple of challenges that come with it. Um, one is obviously you have that situation where if somebody is recording a log or making some sort of report or something like that, it's usually always after the fact, which immediately takes some of the tension out of the situation, first of all, because you know, if, there's, if they're in a life-threatening situation, but making the report, uh, they obviously survived. But, you know, you find ways to, I guess, play with that a little bit. I had a number of characters get caught in situations where they are in the middle of recording and then something else happens, or they feel the need to document something and kind of um, have it uploading in case they get into some trouble, you know, or automatically uploading as the report uh, because they are in some sort of immediate situation. And I think that's another thing that probably comes up as a bit of a challenge as well. You don't just lose the tension sometimes, you also lose some of the immediacy because even if something, let's say, not life-threatening but emotionally devastating happened or um, particularly revelatory happened, you're getting it told through several filters because it's going as a report. It's, it's part of that report which is being told you know, 24 hours, 48 hours after the fact and so forth. And so finding ways to make that feel a little bit more uh, live and immediate was one of the challenges. I usually got around that by uh, having characters recording field notes or something like that and then inserting that recording into the report as a way of kind of trying to bring people, the audience, back into that moment and feel it along with the characters as they were experiencing it rather than just having, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, you know, um, it sucked, but that was yesterday kind of situation going on. I really liked one of the other ways you did that, which was sometimes inserting another character interrupting the log to aid with that emotional like tension or or feeling. And I thought that was really cool the way that you kind of incorporated that to pull those kind of emotional strings between characters. Yeah, definitely. One of the obvious uh, issues with having this situation again where where you've got five people recording separately all the time um, is that, again, you lose the the human connection of, of things like dialogue. So having characters, you know, uh, other characters come in, uh, there were five reporting characters, but there was 12 people in the cast in total, um, I think is an important way of providing that extra, again, connection, uh, emotional stuff, character development and all that sort of thing. But you have to obviously find a, a balance with that one because there are times where it can become, um, you know, you do uh, see it a lot and I don't want to criticize anyone who, who does it, but there is that situation where you have a lot of people start a recording and get interrupted and that can have 
you know, that happens, obviously, that's, that's real life. And people, I think, accept that there's going to be a certain amount of this in, um, in these kind of stories. But if you keep going back to that well all the time, it can, be, it can start, to get, um, feel, start to feel a little bit contrived, I guess. So trying to find a, a balance between those two is, is always a trick. But I agree. Characters aren't as interesting on their own all the time. Um, finding people that they naturally spark off or connect to is, uh, is definitely part of the fun. And I think, too, there was a deliberate sense that as time went by, I wanted to get further and further away from the I'm calmly just reporting situation as the situation spins more and more out of hand and you have more times when they're just recording because they're, they're, they're trying to make sure that um, there's some record of what happens in case something happens to them and they're in more direct situations of jeopardy and so forth. And that was also, I guess, part of the, the attraction of doing it this way of sort of taking things very slowly from we are calmly going about our business, this is what we're thinking, this is what we're finding, this is interesting, aren't we having a lovely time, to oh my God, run. And, uh, you know, seeing that kind of spin out over the course of, you know, the, the first sort of five episodes into the sixth was, was more in that calm vein. And from about the end of six through to the end of the season at the end of episode 10 was very much, you know, there was a, 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 there was a lot more running in the, in the second half of the season. So tell me about how it feels to have finished the entire first season and how much of a time difference was there between writing the season or the episodes and getting them out there to the audience? Um, okay, so yeah, look, I mean, first of all, it feels uh, fantastic to be to be through it because it, there were times when I honestly thought that, um, you know, the powers that be were conspiring uh, against me. Um, I don't know why they would target a, a small independent audio drama specifically for their whims, but you never know. But I mean, there were a couple of times during the during the run of the season from a production point of view where things just kept getting thrown in the way, uh, a period in which I, I for various uh, sort of personal reasons, didn't have any available time. And we, we sort of ended up going into a hiatus at the end of uh, episode six that ended up supposed to be about two months and ended up lasting more like, I think, five. And then just as I was kind of gearing up for the finale and trying to put the finishing touches in place on that was when, you know, 2020 started to really uh, ramp things up. And among other things, my work went to, uh, you know, I said I'm a teacher, uh, my work went to remote learning and so having to change and adapt to that um, I only just managed to sort of get the finale out before I had to really sort of refocus my entire life to work out how I was going to manage this new situation so you know it, it was definitely climbing uh, climbing a hill and not not so much from the writing point of view but more from I think the uh, the, the other end of it the acting the production the sound design which uh, is is takes a lot of time and is, is quite challenging but to your um your original question, of the, uh, as far as the journey goes, um, I started writing the first draft of the first season in January of 2018. I wrote actually two seasons kind of back to back. It's just a very, very fast, get all the thoughts out uh, in one go, get it on the page as fast as possible, work out exactly how it works, you know, later, no going back, no revising, that sort of thing. And from there spent probably the next I'm trying to think uh, four or five months, you know, when I had the time sort of knocking into shape. My partner uh, is a published novel, uh, novelist, and um, she acts as the script editor on the uh, on the show. So um, you know, we're going backwards and forwards, working through a few things. Got into sort of the the casting process by I think about the middle of the year, 
started production sort of late 2018 and then was ready to get the first episodes out in uh, April of uh, 2019. So it's been quite a journey just to get to this this point. Uh, And those scripts are something like 50 something thousand words so it's the 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 first season is its own little small novel as a piece of work on its own so you know there's there's quite a bit of work going through that i did at least sort of three drafts before i was really happy with what i had so tell me about the journey to season two i know that you know 2020 being what it is and you had already mentioned you know you're a teacher you've got virtual teaching now and things are are quite a bit different for for many of us, but where do you foresee season two taking you? And if at all, how will your framing devices change? Well, there is a, a, a few things, obviously, that I do know about season two at this point, because as I said, I wrote the uh, the first two seasons sort of back to back with the, just that idea of trying to get as much material that was kind of sitting in my head onto a page as possible. So where I'm at, I am uh, at right now is um, I've just finally gotten to the point where I have a little bit more space and, and, and breathing room, uh, you know, from a life point of view to start focusing on this sort of stuff again. So over the last week or so, I've started going back through those drafts and looking at, I guess, almost kind of reverse engineering the plan for those um, for those episodes. So kind of making notes on what goes into each of the reports in the um, in this version of the script, putting that up on the wall. And then obviously, uh, you know, I, I need to sit with that for a while look at what I have, look at what I actually did with the first season, because obviously that evolved quite a bit from what I knew at the time I wrote that draft of season two. And then from there, it'll be a case of sort of marrying what I have had in place already with what has occurred to me and the different ideas I want to explore. There's definitely going to be a few uh, changes. There's going to be some introductions uh, of some new characters and also some characters that we have gotten to know in the first season are going to become a little bit more of a central focus. Some aspects of this story are going to be, I think, more personal to some characters that maybe didn't have as much of a, of a personal stake or emotional journey um, in, in, the, in the first season. And as far as the framing device goes, I think for this season, I, I, I do intend to stick with something fairly similar. I am looking ahead to future seasons and considering that if we do get to a third or a fourth uh, or anything beyond that, um, that the framing device might change, um, that there might be a, a new um, framing device that I would use uh, partly because of a desire to do things a little bit differently, um, tell the story using some of my support characters in more sort of central roles, and just partly also because this idea of the, the framing device, the idea that not all narrators are 100% reliable, and that sort of thing has always been, I guess, a central focus but there are other ways to explore that idea and I have a few in mind that would I think make for very still very interesting very among the stars and bones e kind of stories that still involve investigating uh, uh, the vanished alien uh, race um, that they're looking into and still involve taking the characters on some personal journeys but we'll do so from a slightly different perspective in a different frame. What do you think was the most challenging part about the entire creation? Um, I think it's kind of the, the ultimately the management of it because being the person who is on one hand, you know, writing at the, at the front end of the production is in the middle performing and directing uh, and so forth around that production and then is kind of doing the post end 
where you're editing, adding sound design and all that sort of stuff, it kind of means that you have to simultaneously kind of be existing in, in, in several different mental time spaces in, in a sense. Um, particularly when you get into the, the, the mishmash of things where there is still, say, script finalizing and editing going on while you are also recording for an episode that's uh, back a couple from that and while you are putting the finishing touches on an episode that's back a couple from that one. You know, uh, it, it's obviously a, a thing that um, you see, particularly I think in production of things like television a lot where the producers are simultaneously, you know, writing episode 18 while doing um, pre-production meetings and so forth on on episode, I don't know, nine while eight's being shot, while um, seven's being post-produced, while six is due to pre- premiere, you know, it's just that kind of that constant backwards and forwards thing that, I don't know, uh, I think my brain does uh, work better in a straight line on certain things and I think that's probably one of them. I do think too, the uh, th- there was a lot of challenges in the writing, I think, uh, in terms of trying to find balance to make sure that everyone's story had some impact and some weight um, and it did not feel like one of the characters, you know, was ultimately the focus, even though you've got these other ones around them trying to make it feel like a genuine ensemble as much as possible. And that also, I guess, comes down to how that develops over time as well over future seasons. But, you know, making sure that there wasn't too much stuff in the in there that wasn't there with a purpose sort of a big believer in that idea that that for the most part anything that's sort of in a script um should be fulfilling more than one function at a time you know it can't just all it can't always just be pure exposition there should be some sort of uh character story or you know there's got to be a clue being laid or or something needs to be going on and trying to get it down to the the crux without also at the same time you know squishing the story down so so much that there's no room to breathe um, is, is a bit of a balancing act as well. Given those challenges and and kind of the forward and backward, how do you feel both like you and your cast handled some of those tenser, more like emotionally difficult scenes? Well, yeah, uh, it, it, it is uh, a challenge because, of course, we are a, a remote production. Um, I'm here in Australia about I don't know, half of the cast, uh, slightly more, is based in all of the time zones of America. And then there's a few people over in the UK as well. And so as a result, you know, there's no face-to-face involved in in any of this. And so that does present a little bit of a challenge. As much as possible, um, we did try and get people together to rehearse, you know, at least do a a table read um, of the scene so people could get a sense of how the other uh, actor was going to play the moment um though for the most part people record uh alone and i think that's one of those uh one of those real tricks is really trying to you know because you've got to find a little bit more of that that energy as a performer internally because you're not going to get it from the other the other person in the same way so i think a lot of it comes down to to trust and casting people that you are fairly certain you know what you can get out of them uh and so forth because Otherwise, you know, a lot of those moments can fall really flat. But also giving people that chance to interact and bounce off each other is is really important. You know, it's uh, John Cobb and Shakira Searle who play Kathy Winters and Celia uh, Panella. They uh, work really well off each other, and that was really really key. I think I got a little bit lucky there in terms of the fact that they both have a really uh, good strong sense of humor makes it very easy to uh, develop rapport and that's uh made i think you know that relationship's quite central to um to 
one aspect of the story or you know one one side of the story that's being told and so that was really good and getting those two together in the early stages i think really laid the groundwork for the more emotional stuff that came later uh and made that go more smoothly as a result you know i guess that's another part of it as well it's not not always diving in off the deep end it's it's giving uh characters time to evolve before you really smash them with something so that the actors can kind of get comfortable in that character's skin and then feel how the character would then react in this this more charged uh situation that you end up in that must have been quite a challenge uh having everybody kind of all over the world when you were casting with all these characters in mind did you cast kind of worldwide because of the story being in space and it being a little bit more believable having people from all sorts of different regions and having different regional accents come through because it it really felt to me listening like oh yeah this is totally normal for all these different accents to be together in space on this expedition because it's not unique to a specific location on earth was that just kind of luck of of the casting or did you sort of plan and hope for that sort of spread? Look, as I was casting, I was, I think, trying to find a little bit of variety in the voices. Um, I will admit that uh, I think it was a bit of an oversight that in the end I ended up with only native English speaking uh, voices in the in the mix. And I think that's something I, I want to work towards correcting as time goes by. But yeah, there was definitely a, an, an intent to try and find that bit of contrast. I think also it, it can be a, a thing sometimes when you're casting for an audio drama. If you cast just the, uh, the you know, dozen people or whatever it is that you feel have the voice that most sounds like what you are looking for or you know you like to hear the most you do sometimes get that problem of yes but what about the fact that those voices have to be heard alongside each other you know i know we've probably all been through it that, that listen to this these kinds of things where it takes you until the fourth episode before you finally actually have the characters straight in your head and it's partly because there are some uh, voices that are just a little bit a little bit similar and so looking for that little bit of contrast was definitely um, part, of the, part of the casting process. And that sometimes meant casting people with, uh, yeah, with different, different accents and so forth. But I agree, certainly. You know, um, I'm a big fan of uh, the science fiction show Babylon 5. And one of the comments that the creator of that uh, often said, that when we go to space, we're all going. You know, all different types of people with all of our various um, identities and backgrounds and also with all of our various, you know, problems and foibles and all those sorts of things, they're all going to exist. They're just going to exist out among the stars. So, and I do feel like, you know, at this kind of point, you know, we're 200 years into the future in, in, in my story, that if humanity has expanded out into the stars, you would like to hope that there is a, um, a little bit more of a, I guess, a situation in which, there is room for all people to be out in space and be part of something like this, driving humanity forward into a into hopefully a better world. It's admittedly not always a better world in my world, but you know that's uh, that's another part of the story. Yeah, I I like that a lot. I like that you incorporated that into it. Are there any other like current or future projects that we didn't talk about that you maybe have up your sleeve and you want to hint about? Yeah, look, there is um, another show I'm involved in producing now, but it's not written by me. This one's written by uh, Devin Madsen, who I mentioned uh, was my partner uh, earlier. She wants to tell a story um, set in the world of her novels, but wants to do 
this particular part of exploring that world through the audio drama medium. So I've been um, working on that. We're finally sort of, uh, I think, making some headway on that one. And I'm hoping to do a bit of work on that sort of simultaneous to preparing for season two of Among the Stars and Bones. I have um, another couple of ideas, you know, for things that I'd like to work on. I guess as kind of the the fun side project kind of option, you know, uh, relatively low maintenance and possibly with a very uh, sporadic, intermittent, whatever you want to call it, release schedule. Um, there's there's one called Life with My Evil Twin, um, or some variation on that name, uh, which was originally going to be a web series. Um, I was going to do it as a video thing, uh, but I think I'll probably end up adapting to audio. And it essentially follows that idea of uh, it's that odd couple story, except I guess one of the members of the odd couple, and they're obviously twin brothers, would in theory be uh, an evil overlord if they could ever get off the couch. And so kind of taking that that idea and sort of putting it in a I guess, domestic environment um, just was something that I found to be fun, you know, short episodes, fun little side side sort of project. That sounds fun. I hope so. Tell me about one thing that you're really excited about that is happening in the podcasting world industry uh, or audio, like indie audio drama scene. Uh, is there a podcast or a voice actor or creator that is like just putting stuff out right now that you're just really excited about and want us to check out look um i think i might go with uh vega which um is a show that is uh about uh an assassin in a uh, sort of a future world I, it's kind of hard to sort of quantify the story but for me it's actually in some ways not about the story so much as about the way that it is told it's a single narrator style show but what is i think great about it is for me Rather than, I guess, being narrated the story, you know, in, in that sense of um, uh, audiobook kind of style, which a lot of people use, and it's perfectly a legitimate way to tell a story, you know, where you're doing sort of this, this, this monologue kind of uh, situation. This story um, is told in a way that I think really recreates the idea of storytelling through the podcast medium. You know, the narrator is, is, is far more like someone sitting across from you perhaps with a drink, you know, in a pub, relating this story to you, uh, inviting you in, you know, playing with you as the audience and so forth. And I feel like it's, it feels a little bit more like going to something like a, a, a one-person um, theatre show or something like that, where you kind of get taken on this story and people occasionally will switch into uh, to characters and so forth. But the whole time they're kind of trying to connect with you directly. And while obviously podcasting does that to uh, to greater and lesser degrees, I think you know through the various ways that we do tell stories in audio fiction, I feel like this one is is doing it just with that that real uh, sense of fun and really connecting with the audience in a in a much more interesting way. So I I like to recommend that one as uh, as one that I think is is doing something you know a little bit a little bit different, a little bit new. Awesome! I will have to check it out, and so will the listeners. Awesome. Well, Chris, tell us where we can find you online, where we can find the show. Sure. Um, you can find me at Chris Magilton on, on Twitter. You can find the show Among the Stars and Bones at Among Stars Bones on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us at www.amongthestarsandbones.com. And you'll find us in, uh, you know, most good podcatchers. Look for the silhouetted alien skull on a starfield. Bit of purple, if, uh, and you'll be on the right track. Thank you. 
The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelli. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter and use the hashtag PodMonth2020. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.